0: are on the line. 5.02
1: you're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports, Central Alabama happy Monday everybody live back with you from that bowl special programming that we had this past Friday you know I'm in the 94th percentile it's so only 6% of people out there picking games are doing better
2: than me I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, and if you missed the bowl game special, clearly uh, we here at On The Line, our math department uh, did a fantastic job in breaking down that uh, the different bowl matchups, obviously the math department being Noah this past Friday. But, but I went five and four. Still, though. 94th percentile. Yeah, so if you missed the podcast, go and find it, because apparently there was some valuable information to prevent you from getting under 500 in your bowl picks. <laughs> <laughs> Just barely above 500. Just barely. We know what we're talking about. A little over 50% of the time. <laughs>
1: Number to call, 334 321 1390. That'll put you through to us here on On the Line for the Monday edition. Anything you want to talk about? We're not going to talk bowl games right here with you just yet. Of course, Tulsa and Old Dominion are playing right now on ESPN. 6.08 left of that first quarter in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Tulsa and Old Dominion tied at 7. If you are doing bull picks and maybe you're interested in this game for whatever reason, I'll try and keep you updated throughout the show. But the big news to open up with on today's edition of On the Line is Bo Nix announcing his decision to transfer to Oregon. What a flip of the United States map to go from Auburn, Alabama to the Pacific Northwest in Eugene, Oregon. What do you think of this move Bo Nix headed to Pac
2: 12 uh, foe Oregon. Well, if you can beat them, join them, right? And that's obviously the st- the uh the the uh, classic saying if you can beat the beat a team proceed to join them three years later Uh, I think that this is an interesting move for a variety of reasons but I will say yeah it's kind of weird this is not like oh Auburn got a quarterback from the west coast and he's been in the system for three years and now he's going back home or back to the region that he came from like you just mentioned this is a kid that grew up in Alabama played uh, played high school ball in Alabama played college ball at Auburn for three years and is now making the trek all the way to the other side of the uh, country. I do want to say I don't feel necessarily like this is a uh he's running away from the sec move this is not like a lincoln riley situation i've seen some people say that just knee-jerk reactions like oh he's running away from the sec because he can't compete there those people have been trashing him since he
1: opted to transfer and honestly may have been trashing him before he opted to transfer
2: you know bo Nix even said he, was, he he said uh i believe it was either on the jay boys show or on the next round whichever whichever show he comes on saying that you know he definitely would would have been during his uh recruiting process and the transfer portal would have been open to uh, to going to an SEC school so that he was in talks or in conversation with Lane Kiffin uh, potentially going to Ole Miss still staying in the SEC West he said that would have been a fun challenge for him so it's not like he's opposed to playing SEC football I mean heck he's been in, been in the game for three years now uh, if he was that opposed to playing SEC ball he probably would have gotten out a little bit earlier but it's an interesting move from a scheme perspective from the talent that Oregon's bringing back what they are bringing in Georgia Georgia is their opening opponent next year. The think story about who their lines, head coach is. Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator uh, that, that was or was the defensive coordinator at Georgia. I mean, there's so many different storylines surrounding this Oregon program right now, and Bonix is just one of them. But I think, to, to answer your question, what do I think of, of, of the move? Like, from a scheme perspective, just it's just an overhead. I think it is going to be a good fit. And also, you look at the way the Pac-12 operates, I mean, they're not putting out SEC caliber defenses year in and year out consistently and I mean you look at Oregon's schedule outside of Georgia this is like playing Arkansas's defense on a week-to-week basis if Bo Nix if his goal was to continue on his NFL dream right if it was to if it was to elevate himself to a level where NFL scouts would respect his game and he would be getting some more national attention I think Oregon is a good place for him to land because I think he is going to be able to put up not gaudy numbers but I think he's going to be able to put up put up numbers against these Pac-12 defenses and then also I feel like and I don't necessarily think this was uh, you you never saw Knicks complain about this you never saw I don't think a a lot of people like truly complain about this but I feel like the Brian Harsin offense was sort of limiting Bo Nix's ability to to use his legs obviously coming out of high school he was a dual threat guy it's not going to be like that in Eugene exactly very athletic we've seen Anthony Brown this season transfer from Boston College play uh, QB for the Ducks he's been able to use his legs quite a bit actually especially in key moments so I think Nix is going to be able to utilize that he's going to be able to really flesh out the parts of his game that this new regime in Auburn was trying to not necessarily limit but ty- try and hone in, in a different direction to benefit the style of offense that they wanted to implement so I think that Oregon's going to be able to allow him to play, not necessarily freely, but to play his brand of ba- football. Almost but said basketball. I almost said, I almost said ball, and then I wanted to say football, and I was like, b- 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 football. <laughs> <laughs> this is a wrinkle that I don't think is being talked
1: about enough, if it hasn't been talked about at all. Defensive coordinator Dan Lanning of Georgia, now head coach Dan Lanning at Oregon, on the other side of the Deep South's oldest rivalry, there was enough respect from someone who coached against Bo Nix this year on the other side of the football to say, I want this guy to be my quarterback. His first quarterback at his new job, the first time ever he's been a head coach. You don't want to get this quarterback position wrong. Right. You don't want to get this one wrong. You want great first impressions, right? He has to have loads of
2: confidence in, and Bo Nix must have made an impression on him. Did Dan Lanning get the organ job like right before Bo Nix entered the transfer portal? Was, was, yes. that, was that the timeline? Because as we mentioned, I believe last week, Bo Nix had a do not contact tag apparently on, oh, with his uh, 27, 24-7 sports uh, transfer portal announcement whenever 24-7 sports made that official it's like there's a do not contact tag meaning he probably already knew where he was going to go don't under- necessarily understand how that works if he said yeah lane kiffin and i were talking but anyway it, it's uh, it's apparent that he had an idea of where he wanted to go and it's interesting that oregon and dan landing were able to make that move so quickly and to your point saying dan as dan Lanning, you do not want to mess this quarterback situation up what better situation to put yourself in than to go get a three-year starter in the sec west to start out things with your with your tenure in the pac I 12 i also that's think it
1: shows how much respect dan lanning had for the guy he yeah. coached against him he yeah. was the defensive coordinator of granted i think auburn's georgia's biggest rival i really do he was the defensive coordinator of one of the biggest rivalries in college football, he was he was against Bo Nix. Yep. I think that says a lot that he was like, I want to go get this guy. I've coached against him. I know what he can do. I want him to be my team's quarterback. Even though he, he is of the defensive side of the football, that, that's respect to me
2: yeah I would agree with that I would agree with that and I I will say after the way that Dan Lanning's defense uh ate the Auburn offense alive for the past two seasons I mean it feels interesting or it is interesting that that tells me there's something there on film that he likes that Lanning felt the need to go after him after beating him three or three years right or or the the past two years I'm not sure how long Dan Lanning's been at Georgia as the DC but still I think that to your point it's interesting it's not weird it's interesting that you beat a kid and you still see enough talent in him to where it's like I'm at this new job with uh with, and I need some stability let me go get this three-year starter in the SEC I think there's three something years there. yeah. he
1: has been the defensive coordinator in the Auburn Georgia rivalry for the entirety of Bo Nix's career he started in 2019 and he was at Georgia in 2018 so he has seen the entire run of Bo Nix at Auburn and he has been the defensive coordinator in that rivalry game for Georgia against Bo Nix. that tells me that there's a lot of respect there
2: yeah I would agree and then also I mean I feel like Dan Lanning as the DC has gotten a better idea of what Bo Nix wants to do as the uh as the years have gone on so in 2019 Bo Nix 30 of 50 245 yards last season in 2020 uh 21 of 40 for 177 yards and let me pull up the stat line from this year's game uh but uh, but point being I feel like Dan Lanning has kind of figured out this kid he I think that he understands what Bo Nix's strengths and weaknesses are 21 of 38 for 217 yards by the way in this year's game I feel like Dan Lanning if anybody understands how to Best implement Bo Nix's strengths and and really sort of mask some of those weaknesses as the guy that's beaten him three years in a row. Right, as defensive coordinator, he's like, I understand. Has just beaten him. He's
1: dominated him. Yeah,
2: I know what he's good at. I know what he's bad at. I know what he can improve on. I know how to make him improve. Let's bring them in in the Pac-12, which, by the way, if you ask yourself, why would any quarterback want to transfer to the Pac-12? This is a tweet from Chris Marler earlier. Only three Pac-12 teams ranked in the top 25 in total defense this year, and nine of the 12 teams ranked 50th or worse nationally. The SEC, on the other hand, had seven teams ranked inside the top 50, including five teams ranked in the top 25. Ten Pac-12 teams ranked 35th or worse nationally in scoring defense and none of them were in the top twenty. So all of that statistical jargon to say, like I said, on a week-to-week basis, it's like playing Arkansas's
1: defense. Exactly.
2: There were not the the, the or worse. The Pac-12 does not know how to play sound defense like the SEC. So it's going to be. I think it's going going to be a nice transition for Dan Lanning and Bo Nix.
1: I think it's a great fit for him. The question is, what does this do to the Oregon quarterback room, where it seems like this has not been made with a great reception from the Oregon fan base
2: yeah if you got on Twitter spaces last night which is a new concept with Twitter if you've gotten on if you got on any of them last night uh to Auburn fans out there you got to listen in to a lot of Oregon fans melting down some of them were were trying to calmly say yeah I think Ty Thompson's still going to be the guy next season Ty Thompson being the backup quarterback for Oregon currently he is a freshman uh there there are every single Oregon fan that I came across on social media last night was not pleased, or was expecting Ty Thompson to still be the guy next season. Uh, nobody, nobody really that I came across, not necessarily, I guess, wanted Knicks, but nobody was really pleased with it. And so I just, I, if people thought that Bo Nicks was getting criticized during his time uh, with the Auburn fan base, this is something I wrote about last night. It's like, man. You are going to, uh, if you're Bonix you're going to have a very rough go if you do not perform well with the Oregon fan base. I definitely think it's going to be a difficult uh, for him if he does not play well.
1: I don't get the vibe that maybe the criticism was what drove Bo away. Right. I just think it may have been a difference between what he wanted here at Auburn and what actually was the vision for the program moving forward, and that's why he said, well, I need to go somewhere else. Or he may not have thought that his NFL hopes – we're going to be met here, and let's just be honest. Let's let's te- let's go down that road first. Let's say about Bo Nix's ability to be able to get to the NFL as a quarterback here at Auburn. What do we know about the offense that he is going into next year? We don't know who's going to be playing wide receiver. You got several guys graduating out of that position group. Auburn really didn't recruit. I, I, I like the receivers that are coming in, but there's not a just knock your socks off. Hallmark recruit at the wide receiver position in this class. You're looking to the transfer portal for that. Darius Clemens would have been that, but Darius Clemens did not commit to Auburn. He committed to Michigan. You've got some good wide receiver commits in here. You've got one four star and two three stars. So I I think it's been a good receiver class, but once again, you're looking for that stud at wide receiver. And right now, I just don't think you have that on this roster. You also look at the offensive line. Right now, only one starter from this year's team is returning on that offensive line for next year. Only one. So you don't know what you've got in the offensive line. You're getting a new offensive coordinator, which is true wherever you would go, but the situation that he's walking into at Oregon has many more constants that have been inside their program and have been producing than that of Auburn's offensive
2: than that of Auburn's offensive roster right now well you talk about what we know about this Auburn offense next season and you're essentially saying there that we really don't know what this offense is going to look like we don't know what
1: the roster looks like right now about half of it's missing I think
2: heading into year four not a lot of continuity for Bo look at the situation at Oregon they will have all three of their starting receivers coming back Four of their five starting offensive linemen, both their starting running back and their backup running back. And then you look on the defensive side, they only have one kid that is slated to graduate. Every single other player is actually, believe it or not, a sophomore or a freshman. So they, um, Oregon's got a lot of production coming back next season. And to add bonix on top of it, I mean, it sounds like a really good situation. And as they to won Bo's 10 games this year. Exactly. They, they, they won 10 games with youth. They could win an 11th if they beat Oklahoma. So I think that this is a really good situation for Bo He has two years of eligibility, if I'm not mistaken, right? He does. He has two more. So if he wants to, I mean, he could really set himself up for 2023, uh, a legitimate run at the college football playoff with Oregon. Uh, I think that's definitely a possibility if he wants to stay for his sixth year. Especially if
1: they expand the playoff, which has been some of what those talks have been about recently is that it could be put into place as soon as
2: next year and then auburn and oregon will face off in the college football playoff and then we'll just it'll just be the greatest game of all time (laughs) that would be gross i don't want to see that happen but last time you said something like that auburn almost played ucf so now we're almost going to get that in 2023 (laughs) (laughs) you know you you break it down though what this does
1: to the oregon quarterback room it provides a bridge between their Backup up that they like a lot you said his last name was Washington
2: Ty Thompson
1: Ty Thompson excuse me maybe I'm getting him mixed up with Ty Ty Washington was that a basketball recruit yeah
2: he almost went to Auburn he currently That's plays right. for Kentucky yeah. yeah
1: I don't know why I got those two confused okay so Ty Thompson they they gives them a bridge between someone that they probably really like for the future and someone they don't expect to be here for very long because Bonix, I don't think wants to be in college from for that much longer he just graduated He just graduated from Auburn in three years. He set his plan up to do that so that he could have some options at the end of those three years, whether to go on to the NFL or if things weren't working out. I'm sure it was to be able to have options after three years were up, and now he's going to have that opportunity at Oregon to be able to make it to the next level. Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we'll keep talking what's going on in the Auburn football universe auburn football lands the number one juco player in the country and jeffrey imba will be back in just a moment monday edition of on the line Noah Gardner and lance doll with you number to call 334-321-1390 that'll put you through to us here on the monday edition of on the line a lot of great stuff coming up on the show today. We're going to tell you who our winners and losers are of National Signing Day. But before we get there, let's head to the phone lines. 334-321-1390. Spector's with us. Spector, how's it going?
3: Pretty good. How are you guys?
1: Doing real well. How was your weekend?
3: All right. Pretty good.
1: There you
3: uh, go. I want, to, I want to ask you something before you change subjects on Bo Nix. Go for it. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that he took that job on the West Coast because of... Uh, the D.C. at Georgia being the head coach.
1: You know, and I think that, you know, I was saying earlier in the last segment that that, that's a lot of respect because Dan Lanning has been the defensive coordinator in this rivalry for Georgia over the last three seasons. So he has coached against Bo Nix each of the games in this rivalry, and he's gotten the better of Bo easily. Um, And so I think that there's a lot of respect there, not only between Oregon's head coach, in dan lanning but also he has been with the new oc kenny dillingham and i think that's who you're mentioning too so there's a lot of respect there i think between that staff and bo
3: yeah uh, uh lanning, lanning knows that uh <clears throat> bo's uh, achilles heel is an offensive line outside of that bo nicks is bo nicks so uh what kind of offensive line does does uh Oregon have coming back
2: well, we were talking about that before we went to break. They're going to be returning four uh, of their five starting offensive linemen. Uh, three of them will be seniors, and the right tackle will be the a junior. They are losing George Moore, uh, the senior left tackle. He could return, though, because technically he's got a COVID year, but I doubt that he's going to.
1: And Oregon consistently has one of the best O-lines of the Pac-12 year in and year out.
3: Yeah, I expect Bo to really shine going out there. That might have been a lot, having a lot to deal with. That, um, West Coast offense, West Coast schemes, and I don't know how that's going to work out for him, but uh, but I wish him the best, and uh, looking forward to see what he does next year. Does he still have two years of eligibility? He does. Yeah, so this works out for him pretty good. He may come back for his final year to just boost that NFL stock. Up.
1: That's right. I, I, th- I think when you look at it, I, I honestly don't think he's going to be there for li- that long. I think this is probably it for him. I think he wants to go and play in the league. I think he's going to have a good enough year this year to where his draft stock should be in a good enough place to where he can go pro.
3: Yeah. Okay, guys. I'll talk to you later then.
1: Appreciate it, Spectre.
3: Yeah.
1: That was Spectre on the line with us. If you want to call in, 334 321 1390. I don't expect him to be there for long. They've got to like Ty Thompson. Seems like Oregon fans really like him. You were talking to me about his recruiting history during the break. This seems like the bridge quarterback. Thompson may not be ready. And on top of that, Dan Lanning may not want to start a guy with no experience this year. And you never know. I mean, guys don't like to wait anymore on rosters. So maybe Thompson says, well, this isn't for me anymore. But if he decides to wait around, he's going to get to learn under a quarterback that's seen the gamut in college football. And he's going to get to learn from a guy that's been in the SEC, not only as head coach, but as offensive coordinator and as quarterback that's sitting in front of him. If Poe ends up winning the job, I think this is good from a competition standpoint. Bo's still going to have to go in and win the job, as well as that's going to push Ty Thompson to get better. There's a lot of positives here for the Oregon roster just outside of Bo Nix coming in.
2: So the current Oregon quarterback situation is anthony brown is the starter uh like i mentioned earlier transferred in from boston boston college he's a graduate transfer so he will be gone next season so it will be a battle between bonex and ty thompson and we were talking during the break about some of his uh some of his credentials coming out of high school so he was a four-star kid borderline five-star 24-7 sports composite gave him a 0.9809 uh grade which is very very close Uh, to a five star he was the number 40 player overall nationally number seven quarterback in the 2020 recruiting class and the number one player in the state of arizona and you look at his uh, height and weight six foot four 215 so he's got the size he's got the he's got the star rating and like you said i think that if we're talking about looking down the line and looking ahead to the future bonix comes in for a year he pushes ty thompson to get better in camp they both learn or uh, ty thompson learns uh considering bonix is a really experienced Played in the SEC for three years. there, Like you just said, a lot of great things to take away from this for the future of the Oregon program. If they can continue to recruit really well, I think this program could be setting itself up for a lot of success down the line under Dan Lanning. We talked, I believe it was last week, or if it wasn't, it was the year before, about the powers in the Pac-12 shifting back to the LA schools with Lincoln Riley and UCLA. I think we're gonna see a great, or I think we're gonna see great competition between UCLA, USC, and Oregon in the years moving forward, if Oregon is truly setting themselves up the way that we think they are right now. Switching on the
1: recruiting trail to Auburn. Auburn lands the number one Juco player in the country in Jeffrey Embaugh, six foot 6'6", six, 305 pounds, out of Independence Community College as well as France. Auburn bringing in a, a massive recruit, not just in size, but also in ranking. At number one defensive lineman, number one nationally in the Juco ranks, he chose Auburn over Miami, Tennessee, among some other schools. This is a big get. I really think... I don't want to put him up next to Nick Fairley because you remember Nick Fairley was a JUCO transfer as well, right. and that one ended up just being better than I think those two JUCO recruits that year, Cam and Nick Fairley. Those ended up being better than anybody could have imagined. But the type of vibe that I get from this is that this guy's going to produce right away and that he's going to be a monster. This coaching staff—if you watch the video of when he actually signed and committed to them and said that he was coming—man, yep.
2: I mean, they—they they were. Off the charts, excited. The hug shared between Brian Harson and it lasted Jeffrey like Inba. a minute. It was it was special, man. I will say we've talked in the off season about this coaching staff's plan to it's recruit, a game changer to recruit like nationally. Yeah. Who recruits the uh, country of France better than the Auburn Tigers? Yeah, there nobody can say <laughs> that. We are the best at that. Um, like you mentioned, Jeffrey Emba, huge prospect, not just um Not just like in terms of star rating, but literally six foot six, 305 pounds, has three years of eligibility left, had 40 tackles last season for uh, Independence Community College, uh, 13 and a half tackles for loss, two sacks and a forced fumble. I think this kid is going to be a force uh, on the defensive line, Uh, like you mentioned, number one Juco commit. Uh, in this year in this year's class it boosted Auburn's class up to 13th so they are now back in the top 15 nationally in the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings fantastic fantastic get so we talked it's interesting we talked about Auburn on the recruiting trail as opposed to Auburn in the transfer portal this year right and we talked about how they're definitely going to hit the transfer portal hard how about Auburn going to the JUCO ranks recruiting and picking up three of the best signees that the JUCO ranks have to offer right and Keontae Scott Jeffrey Emba and the third guy is currently slipping my mind that they picked up Marquise Gilbert I mean they they got some uh they got some legitimate names from from uh, the JUCO ranks
1: well all of those were number one recruits at their positions two of those in the defensive backfield, Marquise Gilbert number one safety Keontae Scott number one cornerback and then of course on the defensive line you've got Jeffrey Emba so in in multiple levels there on the defense you have the all three of those guys are going to play they have a real opportunity to play right away and contribute and do big things for Auburn. I think the JUCO ranks now are oftentimes forgotten about because of the role that the transfer portal is playing and you'd like to go and get a D1 player that's in the transfer portal. But let's don't forget, there's still really good JUCO players out there that take that next step while they're in the JUCO ranks and Auburn should know something about that. There's been quite a few good JUCO players to come through the doors and enter into Auburn's program and really change things around for them. This is a big get for Auburn and I think it can... This was what I was waiting for on the defensive line, and I had a good feeling that Emba was going to choose Auburn. Uh, I'm sure many people were you know, hearing rumors about all that uh, throughout the week last week around signing day. I had a really good feeling that MBA was going to choose Auburn, and I was waiting for some type of stud to show up on that defensive line. I was waiting for that, and that was what I thought was one of the things missing in this recruiting class. That just changed. I feel really good about Auburn's defensive line moving
2: forward now that Emba is committed. Now that he's signed, it's not just committed, he's signed. Well, that's something that we were talking about last week, right? And it's something that you mentioned. It's like a defensive line is not necessarily the biggest need for Auburn in this uh, this year's recruiting but class. But you need a dude. But you need somebody, right? You need if a said I remember you saying, if you can, we can get one more guy, then I think we're going to be okay and how about four-star Jeffrey Emba? I mean, that's, that's a pretty good sig- uh, signee. Uh, it's a pretty good pickup. Now I think a lot of attention, both on the recruiting trail before the final signing period and in the transfer portal, I think Auburn has to prioritize offensive linemen and getting a receiver. Would you, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yes, uh, and, I, and I, that, that's definitely how they're going to move forward with this. And you see Trevon Reed tweet, after yesterday with Jeffrey Emba, after he you know he listed off all the number one Juco guys that they got and then he tweeted the video out we're not done yet and I don't think that Auburn is done and I know a lot of folks saw Auburn's offensive line class that came in on Wednesday and said it's a little thin and yes it is thin and there's still a lot of work to be done over these next two months going into February they are going to go and find some guys to join this class over the next two months some guys that haven't committed I think Auburn's got a shot for Julian Armella I mean they're on the outside looking in right now but you never know he pushed back his commitment where you thought he was going to make it this past Wednesday he pushed it back to February Auburn's right outside that top four maybe they can get in the mix considering his teammate Camden Brown is committed or is not committed he signed I got to get past that they're signed now they're not committed anymore he's coming to Auburn right so you got a chance for somebody like that and there are other guys still out there that haven't signed and are waiting until February to even announce their commitment, as well as the transfer portal is become is going to become laden with players left and right after this bowl season. Guys looking for one more year. Auburn's going to go and find offensive linemen. They know that that is what they have to fix moving forward. Folks should be really happy about Auburn's recruiting. The question about this team was, will they be able to recruit? The question about the staff was, will they be able to recruit? and they got you to number 13 nationally and sixth in the sec and there's really not a whole lot separating them from fourth in the sec between kentucky and missouri in front of them auburn has proven that they can recruit give them some time to get
2: those offensive linemen i'm sure they'll get them through the doors four star Braden joiner interior offensive lineman announcing his commitment today just got a crystal ball for auburn there we go more on the line when we come back
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: 33 minutes into the Monday edition of On the Line. Jeffrey Imba, number one Juco player in the country, headed to the Auburn Tigers. France to Independence Community College to Auburn. And this is a guy that I think changes things up front for Auburn. I've been saying all season long, you've got some good players up front. As a whole, they did really well at stopping the run this year. Auburn's defensive line did. Their front seven forced a lot of negative plays. There's a reason why, for a large part of this season, Auburn was top five in the country at tackles for loss per game. They were great at disrupting the running game, but they were not great at getting home all season long from the pass rush. They were missing a dude up front in the front seven that could mess things up all across the board. A Will Anderson type. Not saying that you have to get someone that could win the Heisman or anything like that or win national awards, but you need somebody who can make their presence known on a regular basis throughout the football season. And it was just kind of touch and go with a couple of different guys. They were missing that. Embach could be that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you look at Auburn's defensive line next season. I mean, Derek Hall could potentially go to the NFL draft. Tony Fair, the nose tackle is going to be gone. Colby Wooden is going to be a name to look out for. TD Moultrie is going to be gone. Marquise Burks is graduating. Uh, I was listening to front of the program, Zach Blackerby, the Locked On Auburn podcast. I was listening to him earlier today and he made the the statement that he thinks Jeffrey Emba is going to be Auburn's best defensive lineman next season. Uh, And obviously some things are going to have to happen in order for that to be true. Like he said, he believes Colby Wooden and and Derek Hall potentially are going to leave for the NFL draft. He said he thinks that's really possible. So Jeffrey Emba is coming in at a time where Auburn definitely needs him, especially if those two guys leave. But even if they don't, I think that Jeffrey Emba, given his size and given his uh, his experience, uh or minimal experience with some interest or with some impressive statistics i think he could potentially slot in and be one of those wreckers on the uh, on the defensive line i def- definitely i uh, think so and something that we've also talked about and i know jeffrey Imba's is not necessarily going to be this but auburn needs not necessarily i don't want to say auburn needs a derrick brown because they're never going to get one of those again but auburn needs a they guy might. auburn needs a guy like Derek brown they need somebody that is that is one of those studs like you mentioned earlier in the show they need a disruptor one of those studs on the defensive line because it makes everybody else around them that are average to good better and it makes that defensive line really difficult to control
1: here's what i like about Emba. he can take on double teams and that is going to make other players better in this front right now Who's the guy that you're double-teaming on this front? Pretty much all of them because you're not blitzing ever. So two or three guys have been getting double-teamed right. on pass rush snaps, unfortunately. But who's the guy that you're double-teaming right now if you could only double-team one? Typically Wooden or Hall, right? Right. You would, And I'm excluding Hall because he stands up a lot off the edge. Some so guy, Somebody that's got their hands in the dirt. And Hall does count. I mean, I, I'm just saying the guy that I think too is Colby Wooden. This is somebody, and I'm interested to see where Embaugh lines up because I think Auburn's committed to these three-man fronts. Of course, they'll switch occasionally, especially when they get into the nickel, to four-man fronts. I mean, there is a hybrid look to this defense at times, but I do think Auburn is committed to a three-man front with a stand-up outside linebacker blitzing occasionally. Um, I hope to see more blitzing in the future from this coaching staff, but we'll see. But nonetheless, I th- I think he can play at multiple spots along the defensive line. I think he could play on the outside. I think he could play on the inside. I think he could play nose tackle because of how well he handles double teams and being able to still keep his – like not lose his gap integrity. I think he's that good at stopping the run. If there's one thing where you can look at multiple scouting reports on him, if you can watch film on him, you're like, okay, maybe he's not like – the quickest getting to the quarterback. So, like, you still need someone like a Derek Hall to come back or a Colby Wooden to come back to – improve their pass rushing prowess like that still needs to occur in this Auburn defensive line but what Mbot offers you is another one of those disruptors that you have to put your attention on and so now with with this added reinforcement to your numbers up front it makes it harder to manage Auburn's defensive line which might free you up for some one-on-ones in other places and I think if Auburn could get more one-on-ones they'll have a chance to get to the quarterback easier
2: and I also think that you know you given his size he's going to be able to plug some gaps right and like you just said that is going to leave guys like colby that's what open. he's good at right now right but also you've seen his ability to get into the backfield 13 and a half tackles for loss and two sacks right so i think there's a little bit of versatility there you've got that size as well i think that this is going to be just a, a huge benefit for the auburn defensive line because like i just said earlier Everybody around this kid is going to benefit from the fact that he can take double teams. He can put pressure on an offensive line. He can get into the backfield by himself. He is going to draw so much attention that guys like if Hall likes to stay Derek Hall, Marcus Harris is also a guy on this offensive line. J.J. Begeese may get some more time yeah. next season. Zikevius Walker is coming back. All these different guys, whenever they're on the field with him, are going to benefit from the attention that uh, that Emba brings. And so I just think that is a fantastic addition uh, to Auburn's defensive line. And uh, Texas A&M is no longer uh, the, the team in the country that can recruit players from other countries. Auburn's definitely <laughs> in that mix. Now, I find it so fascinating that you know texas a&m picks up a four-star tight end from sweden auburn's getting kids that are from france and jeffrey Imba, by the way made the announcement on on uh french television i believe he did it was really cool stuff so uh, i think again this is a fantastic addition for auburn it's going to make everybody else uh, around Imba better i believe
1: lifts auburn's recruiting class to 13th nationally sixth in the sec only You know They have a better average rating of recruit over Kentucky. They're slightly worse than Missouri because of Missouri's five-star that they have. The thing separating Auburn from those two recruiting classes is the fact that Kentucky and Missouri each have a five-star. Auburn does not. Once again, Auburn's not done. I don't expect them to get a five-star in this class. But just by adding one more recruit, that could do enough to push Auburn to fourth in the sec and a top 10 recruiting class auburn just needs one or two more guys and i don't think that they're done yet and of course other teams aren't done either but if you look at all of the squads in front of auburn right now in recruiting rankings they all have like 20 plus recruits signed auburn doesn't auburn has 19 in this class right now and once again i go back to i think there are a couple more players that auburn wants to go and get Even more than just – like, I I don't even think they're all transfers. I think that they are actually guys that are – they want to come in as – you know, they want high school seniors. They don't want – they do want to go and get some guys in the transfer portal. Of course, they need guys in the transfer portal, but I think that they do still want some high school seniors in this class – and I, I, just don't, I don't think they're done yet. There's a chance that Auburn gets into the top 10, I think.
2: I agree. I think you do have to ask yourself the question, you know, how many more commitments is Kentucky going to get? How many more commitments is Michigan going to get at 23? I definitely think that Auburn is going to, to make a push here if they do pick up a couple more guys down the road. Although I will say Missouri with 16 commitments, uh, they there's will, still more damage to be done. There's still more damage to be done for Missouri. But I also I think you have to ask the question, how, much, how difficult is it for Auburn to surpass Missouri in terms of recruiting rankings, right? And that's not to discount what, what Missouri has done so far this season. They have season. a great class this year. Absolutely, 100%. The fact that they were able to hang on to their five-star, I believe uh, Luther uh, Burden, I, I believe is the receiver's yes. name. It, the fact that they were able to hang on to him, I think is really impressive. So they're obviously they're doing good things. It's just I think Auburn definitely has an opportunity, given their, their name value and their brand. I think they're definitely able to pick up. If they do elect to get some more guys, I think they're going to be able to pick them up. And I think that could potentially get them past teams like missouri kentucky even michigan at number nine i think some teams could potentially sur- uh, surpass the wolverines
1: so here are the points right now from I, I think michigan's a little too far away michigan's got about 27 points on auburn right now in the 24 7 sports composite recruiting rankings but 10 through 13 these are the point totals for these teams in their recruiting classes oklahoma has a total of 238.32 kentucky at 236.44 missouri at 235.05 and auburn at 231.36 there's a chance if you pick up a couple yeah Yeah. if you
2: pick up a couple you're definitely could potentially climb to, to number 10 and you know how about you know just a couple of months ago this this class was sitting at 13th in the sec and now they're sitting at 13th nationally They've, did, they've done a lot. I will say, though, at the same time, 13th nationally is good enough to get you at 6th in the SEC. It just shows you just the absolute ridiculousness of trying to recruit in the Southeastern Conference. It's really, really tough to do. And it's the, it was the question, can Brian Harson recruit in the SEC? It was one of the first questions asked when he, he was answered hired. It. He has answered it so far. If Auburn can – and I'm not expecting this, but if Auburn can somehow finish with the number 10 recruiting class in the nation, I mean – talking about building a foundation that's a great one right there
1: it's just a it, you're right it is a great foundation i think they're finding guys that can be a core for you moving on in this class which you're talking about needs going into this year's recruiting class i think you could pretty much say across the board there were needs everywhere that you had to fill they passed with flying colors the secondary issue you're losing Marco Domio for some reason I'm forgetting the 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 last the this transfer at cornerback that was like sixth on the depth chart going into the year why am i forgetting who it was it was a juco transfer marco domio transferred and then someone Ro right Torrence. after no roe Torrance is in roe Torrance was somebody that you got to replace those guys but when there were two cornerback transfers one of them was marco domio i'm forgetting the other one right now forgive me and then you lost chris thompson as well so monday's probably leaving after this year You're losing Roger McCreary. You could lose more. Like We broke down how many players you were going to lose in the secondary. You find it? Kamal Haddon? Yes, Kamal Haddon. You lose those guys right now, and, and players that were going to play this year, once you had Roger McCreary leave, once you had... You know, a couple of players that you that you assumed were going to leave after this season to go to the NFL draft, you knew that they were going to play this year. They just needed to wait, and they didn't. They, they didn't wait, and that's fine. They wanted to go and find a place elsewhere to play. I get that. I respect the decision. Auburn needed players in the secondary to support this scheme that uses a lot of defensive backs with what they like to do on defense. And they went and, and knocked it out of the park in the secondary, man. They flipped several players that were hot towards DBU, Jadarian Rim was an LSU commit. If LSU likes you to play cornerback, look at the two guys that they've had playing cornerback the last couple of years, and Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley. LSU is DBU, man, or at least one of them. There are several schools that claim to be it. LSU's one of them. And the fact that you went and got Jadarian Rim, that's huge. On top of that, Austin Osberry, directly in the backyard at University Lab. That's a Baton Rouge, Louisiana school connected to LSU. To go and get those two guys as high school seniors, that's awesome. But then, not to mention, you went and got the number one Juco safety and the number one Juco cornerback, two guys that can come and contribute right away in your secondary. Auburn loaded up and passed with flying colors.
2: Recruiting in the secondary this year, where there was a lot of need. If you watched this season, and they're going to be losing a lot of guys for for next season, right? And tomorrow on Auburn Wire, a site that I write for, we're going to going to be uh, putting out our five uh, our five kids coming in in this recruiting class that we are most excited to see. Keontae Scott, very high on my list, coming in from the JUCO ranks. I think that he is going to make a significant mark on this team in terms of playing time, given Auburn's uh, lack of depth at that in, in secondary. But you're right, being able to pick some pick up some of these guys, being able to go into the state of Louisiana and taking some of these guys from LSU. I mean, again uh auburn's proving that they know how to recruit and by the way i don't think we've really talked about this a lot i absolutely love the way that they have produced these videos promoting these oh, signings yeah. with the nfl draft stuff and all that all the different things going on and they even did one for Emba. like i don't know if they pre-recorded that the day that they did it knowing that he was going to commit or in case he committed um it, but but man i mean really good stuff from the out of the auburn program right now in terms of recruiting
1: I want to add to another need that they had we'll switch to the offensive side of the football you wanted a core of skill position players mm-hmm. including quarterback you wanted a core there that you could move forward with because you knew Bo Nix had a limited time left here inside the program whether you knew he was going to transfer or not you knew that there wasn't much eligibility left there for Bo that he was going to try and take off for the NFL relatively soon so you needed a quarterback you you know that Tank Bixby's going into his junior season this is probably his last year at Auburn so you needed a running back you talk about the youth that you had at wide receiver you pretty much had to reconstruct the receiver room in the image of what you were looking for in this offense because the guys that Gus Malzahn recruited for his system are not the same types of receivers that Brian Harson is looking for just look at the fact at how many guys have transferred out of that room already and then the fact that some guys haven't even played haven't even been touched on the field so you might even see more transfers out of the receiver room as we go through spring and the rest of, and the rest of this bowl season and whatnot after Auburn plays their bowl game on December 28th. So how did Auburn respond to that? They responded with those skill position players by finding a core. They go out and get Holden Geariner, who they're extremely excited about at the quarterback position, and you should be as well. They went and got their running back of the future in Tamari Austin, who looks a lot like Tank Bigsby. Will he will he be as good as Tank? Look, that's a high bar to clear, but he's still a very good running back, four-star, number 314 player in the country. He plays like Tank. There's a lot to like there about Damari Austin, And then the volume of receivers that they got. I don't think that they're finished with this receiver class because I think they're going to try and go out and get a transfer to complete this. So they are missing a stud in this receiver room. I think they're missing one commit at the wide receiver room to fully fix this need but the volume of the players that they brought in and the types of players that they brought in at wide receiver in addition to the tight end position with Michael Riley Ducker who is going to play like a skill position they got they got their core of offensive players moving forward to fit what they want to do offensively and i think these positions are positions that you would like to see higher rankings at because you got three three-stars at wide receiver or two three-stars at wide receiver you got a low four-star in Damari Austin you know Holden Gurner was a three-star when he committed you'd like to see these elevate over the years coming but you know that this coaching staff really likes what they found
2: in these offensive in this offensive core moving forward Absolutely, yeah, and I'm going through right now just to look at see some of Auburn's options in terms of recruits. Uh, in the, there's not there's not a whole lot of options uh, in terms of uh, in terms of receivers that they could recruit. Uh, they're definitely going to have to either dip into the uh into the transfer portal, or they're going to have to dip back into the uh the JUCO ranks to see if they can find this uh, this next receiver potentially. But still, I mean, the job that Auburn has done up until this point has been phenomenal. Can they get some more offensive linemen? I think is more important. That's uh, the only need left that they did not answer. You could get a receiver, right? That would be great offensive line right now is the is the last priority for this team and it is really really important because you the uh, to in order to compete in the sec every coach and their mother has said this before you got to be able to have good offensive linemen you got to be able to have good defensive linemen it all starts in the trenches so great job from, from auburn so far getting up to 13th nationally we were talking just a couple months ago if auburn could get top 20 top 25 that would be good um, they have uh, certainly answered the bell if they can get a couple o-linemen i think they're going to be absolutely fantastic
1: let's head to a quick break here when we come back auburn finally announced the hiring of austin davis what do we like about it what do we dislike about it that's all coming up here on on the line you know on friday i said the myrtle beach Bowl may be the worst bowl game of bowl season Two ugliest ball teams playing each other this year. Two six and six squads, Old Dominion, Tulsa. I'm waiting to see how this flag resolves, but right now, Tulsa up 14 to 10. I say it's ugly because these two quarterback rooms, after that interception right there, one to one touchdown to interception ratios.
2: On the season, right?
1: On the season, both quarterback rooms. Unless Tulsa has thrown a touchdown pass now. They have. That's right. That broke. Excuse me. So Tulsa's just slightly above a one-to-one TD to interception ratio. But you know we got a good one in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, 14 to 10, Tulsa, late in the second.
2: Hayden Wolf, right now for uh, Old Dominion, 13 of 18 for only 84 yards, and then uh, Davis Bryn, 8 of 12 for 157 yards for Tulsa. So they aren't. Uh, they aren't, haven't done anything necessarily backbreaking for their teams, but I mean, ugh it's just not not very uh not very explosive offense that that we're uh, witnessing right now. Did they just get hit with an unsportsmanlike
1: conduct penalty on an interception in a bowl game? Get out of here with that, man.
2: Not a fan. Don't turn into the no fun league. Gosh. They did they did uh they did uh retain possession though, right? Tulsa did. They did. All right, sweet. Well, let's take it up twenty-one to ten because you and I both picked Tulsa in this matchup, right? We did.
1: I'm trying to stay in the ninety-fourth percentile. Okay.
2: Well, hopefully they're able to get a score here and they're able to uh, control things from here on out because I don't see Old Dominion with their with their four point five yards per attempt coming back in this one.
1: Auburn officially announces the hiring of offensive coordinator Austin Davis, quarterbacks coach turned OC from the Seattle Seahawks. A lot of rave reviews. From some top names in football, not just college football, but football. Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll had glowing things to say about Austin Davis. We're going to talk about this throughout the show, but before we get out of here on hour number one, what do you dislike about this hire? We'll tell you what we like about it in hour number two. What is something that you dislike about this hire, if there is
2: anything? I think the lack of experience honestly i think is the, is the thing that i would point to he's not been coaching for a very long time he's been with seattle for literally only 3 years he's not had the had the ability to coach different quarterbacks really his his primary focus has been russell wilson he's not really had to coach anybody else uh, I definitely think that the lack of experience and the short track record is the thing that I'm looking at as a criticism. But I mean, uh, we'll, again, we'll talk about the, the positive things in the uh, in the second hour. But uh, Seattle seems to really like him, and I'm just interested to see how does he pan out with the uh, with the limited experience he has.
1: The lack of experience certainly bothers me. The other thing that bothers me is I am scarred from the Gus Malzahn tenure of. Who's calling plays? Should the head coach be calling plays? Why can't we get a coordinator who does a good job? This definitely signals to me that Brian Harson is going to have a heavy hand <laughs> or total control of the offense moving forward. That's going to be fun.
2: That's going to be It could be, fun.
1: be awesome. This could be everything that Auburn has been looking for for stability on the offensive end. In order to get synergy on the offensive side of the ball, I think that's a good thing. But I'm also scarred from what happened with the previous coaching staff.
2: Right, and also I think at the same time, I mean, you look at some of the ways that that plays were called this season, some of the decisions that were made. It felt very Bryson Brian horson esque. Right, it felt like he certainly had a hand in a lot of different situations for Auburn. I felt like there was a power struggle between the two, where in terms of like calling trick plays and not, no, just the pass run want, split. Not that's what I was about to say is not one to run the ball knowing Mike Bobo's background I definitely think that Brian Harson had his hand on the offense uh, I, I definitely think that that was the case and now that he's got full control what does this west coast passing scheme look like does Auburn really stru- start to stray away from the run who knows uh, we'll just have to wait and see but I think that getting a quarterbacks coach in Austin Davis I think he is going to bring some positive things for the program Auburn's got a new QB how does Davis handle that situation
1: And I don't think Auburn's straying away from the run, but I definitely think it's not the focal point of the program anymore. Oh, yeah. Coming up in hour number two, we're going to talk Auburn basketball, escaping St. Louis with a victory, as well as still this Austin Davis hiring. Stay tuned. Hour number two coming up.
0: You are on the line. 502.
1: our number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call 334 321 1390. That'll put you through to us here on the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll have Jeremy Love Radio Alabama Sports, coming up at 3.30 here in this hour number two, as well as still talking things going on with Auburn football, Auburn basketball. We're going to start off hour number two with making headlines, Bo Nix announcing his decision to transfer to Oregon.
2: Yeah, Bo Nix, uh, Bonix, I think, made a very good decision given the state of the uh, Oregon program, trying to uh, set themselves up for some long term success with new head coach Dan Lanning, the former uh, Georgia defensive coordinator. I think uh, Oregon has done some really good things in terms of their coordinator hires. Kenny Dillingham, obviously, Auburn's coordinator uh, in 2019, was at Florida State there for a little bit. Now, Georgia's or excuse me, Oregon's OC, Bo Nicks, getting to reunite with him. Uh, I definitely think that they've set themselves up with Bo Nix to hold things over while their backup Ty Thompson, who we talked about in the first hour. Uh, Ty Thompson uh, gets ready to potentially take over his QB1 in uh, seasons to come.
1: Great scheme fit for Bo Nix. I yep. think we could be hearing his name called in the NFL draft.
2: I definitely think so and this is something that we discussed earlier also just talking about Nix and his his running ability it was it was limited uh in his uh in his third season on the plane so in in 2019 he had 300, 313 rushing yards and 200 or 2020 he had 388 and this past season for Auburn he only had 158 rushing yards now surely had he played the entire season that number probably would have gotten up to somewhere around 250 Uh, 230 somewhere around there, but it was very evident this season uh, from an attempt standpoint only had 58 attempts as opposed to last year's 108. It's very clear that they were they were trying to get Nix to evolve into a pocket-passing quarterback, and I just simply don't think that's what Nix is. He's got a very talented arm, but he does like to use his legs a little bit. He was obviously one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the nation coming out of high school. There was a reason for that. He's got great athleticism. We've seen that. We've seen the mobility from him. We got to see it in the LSU game, uh, but I definitely think that he's going to be able to kind of expand his role with the Oregon offense. We talked about this a lot in hour number one. If you missed any of it, go and find the
1: podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. I think this is a really good move for Bo Nix. I think it also tells you a lot about what former Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning, who coached against Bo Nix at each of the last three games of this rivalry, tells you a lot about the respect that he has for this quarterback to bring him to Oregon bo is going into a great situation in eugene let's move to our second headline now auburn lands the number one juco recruit in the country
2: jeffrey Emba to this recruiting class that is now boosted to number 13 nationally fantastic signee for the auburn tigers we talked about this briefly in the first hour if you if you can find the video on social media go and find it the the announcement from Jeffrey Imba whenever Brian Harson found out that he was going to be that Jeffrey was going to be committing to the Tigers the hug that Harson and Imba had was just absolutely phenomenal and then Brad Bedell I believe it was Brad Bedell I might be mistaken he was also there too I mean they were just hype all three of them were just incredibly excited i think he's going to be a fantastic signee this is something that you pointed out earlier just talking about auburn needing a stud on the defensive line and they've kind of lacked that over the past two seasons seasons it's feel it feels like without marlon davidson and derrick brown they need somebody of that caliber that type of player they need somebody to be that disruptor on the defensive line so it can allow these other guys to really shine because I think once you put a guy like Emba out there at six foot six, three 305 pounds, he is going to draw so much attention. We talked about this earlier. He's going to draw so much attention, it's going to leave guys like Colby Wooden and Derek Hall in one-on-one situations. And we know they can produce, produce in one-on-one situations because we've seen them consistently get double teamed this season because they are so talented. So I think it's a fantastic move from Auburn. I think it's going, it's going to be a fantastic addition for years to come. Three years of eligibility for this kid. Cannot wait to see him develop.
1: I don't think he'll play on the outside ever at Auburn. I don't think that that's what his skill set is. I'm trying to figure out where he's going to play at Auburn. He could play nose tackle. Now he is at 305 pounds. I wonder if he'll bulk up a little bit. If he bulks up a little bit, I think he can easily play nose tackle. But I also could see him playing 3-4 defensive end and eating up a ton of space
2: in that gap. Wouldn't you agree that he's probably a better fit for a 4-3 scheme considering his size and it's like well can you really line him up on the outside and let him rush the passer and you can't really put him at nose tackle because you probably want a little bit more weight on him I think he does probably play well in a 3-4 scheme as a DT not an NT and I but still I think if you do line him up at defensive end he, you're, you're asking what you're asking him to do essentially is eat up space and to, and to be a disruptor 13 and a half tackles for loss in his time at Independence uh, Community College so he knows how to get into the backfield
1: i think he's a 3-4 defensive end not a 4-3 defensive end meaning i don't think that he should line up outside of the tackle i think he should line up inside the tackle over that guard a colby wooden type except he's 30 pounds heavier than colby wooden i think he could be auburn's main disruptor in stopping the run he's got great energy a great motor his get off the ball is good It's his want to right now, I think, when you watch the film that is helping him get into the backfield so much. He's going to have to refine and learn some pass rush moves that hopefully Nick Eason will be able to teach him. But I think right now Auburn is getting a monster on the defensive line.
2: Absolutely. And like I mentioned uh, in the first tower, you know, nobody recruits the country of France better than the Auburn Tigers. They, <laughs> he's the only player to come from France, according to 24 7 sports, and uh, he's the best. And certainly considering his uh, his ranking in the Juco ranks, you would think that he is a highly sought after player. I think he mentioned earlier the teams that were looking at him. Uh, just a lot of different power five offers for for this kid. Legitimate, legitimate signee for the Tigers who are now 13th in the 24 7 sports recruiting rankings.
1: Auburn officially announces the hire of their offensive coordinator. It is Seattle Seahawks quarterback's coach, Austin Davis. We talked about this at the end of hour number one. We talked about what we disliked about the hire. Now we're going to talk about what we
2: like about this hire during making headlines. What do you like? Well, I think this is something that we were discussing whenever we were asking ourselves, OK, what do we think that Auburn needs out of their offensive coordinator? And what do we want all out of Auburn's offensive coordinator is a guy that is moldable, a guy that is young, a guy that fits well with Brian Harson and understands how the West Coast offense works. And I think you got all four of those things in, in Austin Davis. I think the thing that I like about him the most to sum it up, he's somebody that I think fits. I think he's a fit, not a culture fit, but a fit, a scheme fit. I think he's going to play well with Brian Harson. Harson will be calling plays, I don't doubt that. And I think Austin Davis is going to be able to be somebody that can coach these quarterbacks. He is going to be able to be somebody that Harson can not necessarily lean on, but look for advice, look for suggestions during games. He's going to be able to tinker with some things and he's going to be able to grow in his role, I think, in the years to come, because I think Harson is going to teach him a lot of different things. What I'm curious about, and I briefly mentioned this in hour number one, Auburn is going to have a three way quarterback battle between TJ Finley, Holden Garner, and Demetrius Davis. And then also, they're going to be potentially bringing in a transfer portal portal quarterback if they elect to do so. So that's a four-way, potentially, uh, battle. It's a four-way battle, potentially, for the quarterback spot. How does Austin Davis, going to also be quarterback's coach, how does he handle that? Going to be fascinating to watch, given his uh, limited track record.
1: Here's something that I like about it. He's been working with Russell Wilson for the past three years, which I've made this point a couple of times in the last week or so in talking about Davis is that Russell Wilson's 33, Austin Davis is 32. They came into the NFL at about the same time. They were quarterbacks at the same time in the NFL. One of them, obviously, not a quarterback anymore. If you can't do it, teach, right? I think he's been able to learn a lot from Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's one of those guys that is really easy to coach because he already knows a lot about the game. It's more of working with Russell Wilson than coaching and teaching him. I think Austin Davis had a lot to learn from Russell Wilson.
2: Absolutely, and I think Auburn's got a quarterback on their roster right now that definitely has the body type and the play style of Russell Wilson. So I'm not necessarily saying, oh, then Demetrius Davis is going to be the starter for the next three years. I just think that Austin Davis is going to come into this situation with some knowledge that Wilson gave him, and he's going to be able to implement it with Auburn's quarterbacks. But specifically, I think he's going to be able to work well with Demetrius Davis. Something else I like about this, he's been working with Pete Carroll. Yeah, and Pete Carroll definitely had some uh, high praise uh for uh for for austin davis he said in a quote that actually auburn made a graphic out of said auburn uh, austin is going to show that he is one of the bright young minds in the game he's been able to transition from player to coach unlike anybody i've ever seen it was just so smooth for him and he's been thinking like a coach for a very long time obviously because he was able to capture the role uh russell wilson thinks the world of him uh, shane waldron thinks the world of him and i do because he is really really good at what he does he's going to be a great benefit to Auburn's program very high praise from uh, the Seattle Seahawks head coach
1: Pete Carroll knows a thing or two about quarterbacks look at his list of QBs that he had at USC look at what mm-hmm. he's done in the NFL with Russell Wilson I can't think of the last time
2: that Pete Carroll had a bad starting quarterback I can't unless somebody got hurt and the fact that he was he was comfortable with bringing on Austin Davis to be the guy that coached that position I mean Pete Carroll understands the
1: position really well so I think you're getting somebody who has a lot more experience than maybe three years suggest, which I understand that being something that folks dislike about it, because why isn't Auburn going out there getting some home run hire at OC? The answer to that question,
2: I don't think Auburn was
1: looking for it.
2: Yeah, Auburn with Brian Harson, it's definitely things are operating differently than I think a lot of Auburn fans are use, used to, uh, things, to things operating I think that uh, I think they're definitely going after what they want, what they need more than what the fans want. Uh, I definitely think they're focusing more on okay, how does this best benefit us as a program? I don't care. If it's Jeff Lebby, I don't care. If it's uh, whoever, if Lane Kiffin was in the market, I think that Auburn would would consider their options and they would go with what best fits, not what best pleases everyone. And Brian Harsin's uh, been very clear on that in the in the past. So I think that uh, I think it's an interesting hire. If Auburn trusts him, uh, then we'll just have to see what happens, especially with the quarterback battle coming up.
1: Next headline here on Making Headlines, we're going to talk a little basketball. We'll break down the game in our upcoming segment, but. Auburn and Alabama new places in this week's AP men's basketball top 25 Alabama dropped a few spots to number 10 after losing in the week to Memphis and then barely beating Jacksonville State over the weekend on Saturday Auburn escapes in St. Louis moves up one spot to number 12 in this week's AP top 25
2: yeah and Jeff Goodman still has Auburn at like number 19 and I've, I've talked about Goodman before on this, on this show. I just want to say, dude dude has some hatred for Auburn. And then John Rothstein has Auburn at number nine in his ranking. So Auburn definitely has moved up there. It's clear to me, I feel like, that you look at these five teams in the SEC, Arkansas, LSU, Kentucky, Auburn, and Alabama, and you could throw Tennessee in there as well. So you could say six teams. I think Auburn and Alabama, when you watch them, I think they are the most complete out of those six teams and it's going to be very fun to watch those two teams to play in the iron bowl of basketball in the coming weeks alabama certainly has
1: cooled off the memphis game they didn't play their best i don't think they played poorly memphis played out of their minds alabama did not play well against jacksonville state and that's not some grand thing that people should try and overreact to or anything like that This Alabama team is going to be a team of runs this year. They are going to be a streaky team this year, and it's by virtue of how they play the game of basketball. They shoot a lot of threes. They play out on the perimeter. If you don't get good, efficient guard play out of your backcourt with that style of play... You are going to have some games like you did this past weekend against Jacksonville State, and you're going to lose some head-scratching games against teams like Memphis. People are wondering, how do you go from beating Gonzaga and Houston to losing to Memphis? And the thing is, sure, Alabama beating Houston was a way to solidify that this team can be legit. And I think they are legit from a talent perspective, but I also think this team's floor has a chance to see them out of the NCAA tournament rather quickly
2: yeah I agree with that I agree with that I, I definitely think that's a possibility talking about another SEC team I want to get your thoughts Arkansas completely dropped out of the top 25 gave, gave up 89 points and a lost to seven and five Hofstra and it was at Arkansas I laughed <laughs> I, I laughed. laughed about it I cried I had a great time um <laughs> It was it was absolutely beautiful. Also, as a, as somebody that's now doing a Kentucky podcast, getting to see Kentucky just run over North Carolina, best win of the season so far for Kentucky. Yeah, and then Damian Collins botched on back to back to back possessions of us can, potentially getting to a hundred points against North Carolina, uh, but no, it was also the second largest margin of victory for Kentucky in the series with North Carolina. It's just a just a massive massive uh, momentum building statement. Uh, For a team that lost to Notre Dame and did not shoot the ball at all uh, very well, excuse me, very well uh, just a week ago.
1: Before we go to break, should Auburn be ranked ahead of Alabama? Mm. Does two weeks ago and back to back over Gonzaga and Houston outweigh this past week? A close win over Jacksonville State and a double digit loss to Memphis? Uh,. I don't have a strong opinion on this. I'm just asking the question. And college basketball rankings disclaimer for folks out there: they don't matter, and they are only separated by two spots. And I don't think Auburn's strength of wins is that attractive either right there right now compared to especially Alabama.
2: But I do think Auburn has been the more consistent team this year. I would say, I would say probably not, given the fact that the he win over Houston and the the win over Gonzaga was just so big uh but but it, like you i'm not incredibly strongly opinionated one way or another if auburn was ahead i'd be like great look at alabama they stink haha. Ha. i don't know why michigan state's in front of auburn yeah that doesn't make sense to me you watch them by the way i mean they are just they're piecing it together <laughs> they're piecing it together the best they can
1: which michigan state's a good basketball team i just think auburn once again you look at the records right now a auburn has lost one less game than michigan state and Michigan State had an undefeated start to the year through Battle for Atlantis and whatnot. So I, I you know, they obviously lost to Baylor in that championship game, but Michigan State had a good start. They've taken a loss since Battle for Atlantis, whereas Auburn has not. Auburn has put together what, like
2: is this six, seven wins in a row for Auburn now? I believe it's nine. Is it really? nine? No no, it's not nine, excuse me.
1: No, because Auburn was three and zero going right. into Battle for Atlantis. Yeah, so was they were three and one, so they've won
2: seven
1: in a row because they're ten and one now. seven, yes. Yeah, so I mean, like, I, I I don't know. I think that there's something to be said for that. And once again, it's just one spot in the rankings. But I think Auburn is being, it's being low-balled a little bit right now.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah, I mean, you look at some of the wins they've gotten. I mean, they got a win over Loyola Chicago, Syracuse, UCF, St. Louis. Two of those teams are quad 1, two of those teams are quad or three of those teams are quad 1. Actually, all four of them may be quad 1. Okay, excuse me. All of them are quad You're 1. You're just wins. eyeballing it. Yeah, I was just eyeballing it. I was just I was just guessing cuz Ken Palm does this thing where it's just like some teams are A's, some teams are B's and it just doesn't really make sense like if it's a quad 1 team, put them in A. It's like I don't I don't get it anyway.
1: Just go to net rankings, man. That'll tell you how many quad one wins. Man, screw
2: the net rankings. I don't know what they're talking about either.
1: (laughs) I think they do by the end of the season. (laughs) I think that it's actually been pretty good by the end of the year. But it's one of those things that people get mad about throughout the year, like the college football playoff rankings. That's exactly. Because you don't have the entire picture, but it's a snapshot of right now.
2: That's exactly what I was about to say, is that I think the net rankings, obviously, I think are more, they they lean more stats heavy. They lean more computer heavy. In, in different things uh, in different things like that but people either way both over the cfp and the net rankings get very frustrated in the, at the beginning of the season just let it play out it'll work itself out
1: let's head to a quick break here when we come back we're going to be talking national Signing day recap winners and losers
2: back on on the line lance Dahl, noah Gardner here with you on espn 1067 and fox sports central alabama Talking earlier in the show about Jeffrey Imba, the number one rated player in the Juco 2022 or at the Juco level uh, in the 2022 uh, recruiting class, talking about how Auburn is currently now 13th in the 24 7 sports recruiting rankings. Wanted to talk now about some winners and losers from early signing day. I think there were some very clear winners and then some teams that you would have expected to make a little bit of a push. And they did not. Noah, do you want to start with winners or do you want to start with losers for the 2022 early signing period? Let's do winners. All right. So one of the winners that I I have, I think that a lot of people are are looking at them as a winner. Texas A&M. Oh yeah. Texas A&M got. They the, won the whole thing. They won the whole darn thing. Uh, Texas A&M currently ranked the uh, number one class in the uh, 2022. Uh, recruiting class they picked up 5 five stars and i believe they are incredibly close to to breaking alabama's record that they set for like average ranking of a recruit uh just a year or so what ago what if
1: i told you that texas a&m had 100% crystal ball on two more players inside the top 10 nationally are you what yep wow number 5 overall player harold perkins linebacker out of cypress texas and then Five star defensive lineman Shamar Stewart out of Opa Laka, Florida.
2: Not, no, not Opelika. Yeah. Um, they're in the
1: running for more players than just those two. They're, they're expecting like five or six more guys that can sign. They're in the running for four-star safety, number 36 player in the country, Jacoby Matthews. That one's an LSU lean right now, but could very well go Texas A&M. That could be an old crystal ball for LSU. Uh, just looking at the top 50, I mean, they have three more potential top 50 players that could commit to them by February.
2: Let me tell you something. Jimbo Fisher is handing out the Texas Roadhouse carryout bags right now because, goodness gracious. <laughs> gracious that is absolutely insane Uh, yeah Texas A&M or it's just it's their world and we're just living in it at this point Alabama and Georgia also signed really good classes but man talk about a winner Texas A&M not just for right now but for the future of the program they are getting some legit talent if that quarterback position they can figure it out is it Connor Weigman Weigman don't know what his name how his name is pronounced don't really care Uh, if they can get him if Max Johnson can develop into somebody I mean this team's got all the dudes on defense they've got all the players on offense outside of QB I think this could be a very special future in store there could be a very special future in store for the Texas A&M Aggies they won this this uh this cycle
1: without a doubt it's not even close A&M cleaned up and you know they, they literally got everything that you could possibly want in this class and once again more guys could be coming more guys inside the top 10 nationally could be coming A&M just absolutely wrecked I don't think you can go to anybody else who and you didn't expect this you didn't expect this this will be the highest rated class ever in Texas A&M history if it isn't already if they're able to clear Alabama's record um you know when they get those two top 10 guys in which I feel you know fairly confident that they will you break that down I mean they're going to end up with near 30 commits maybe more and you know they're 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 clean they're probably going to have to see some guys that were inside their program leave if not transfer you know what I mean? But. The fact that Zach Calzada transferred after this year, after being the starter, you know, you expect Weigman to come in and play pretty quickly. If uh, if if they don't have a whole lot of Haynes King when he comes back, if they don't have a whole lot of confidence there. I wouldn't be shocked if Weigman ends up being the starting quarterback for them next year, right off the right right out the gates. I mean, just so much talent is in here. Number two player nationally, number six, number 16, number 17, number 19, number 37, number 50, number 56, number 62, number 66, number 69, number 80, number 83, number 85, number 91. I mean, that that's just like half the class. You go outside of that, I mean, I, I there's a ton more inside the top 300 alone. Uh, very few players, no players outside the top 500 other than a kicker. I mean, And they added four-star quarterback Max Johnson out of the transfer portal. So they may not even be looking to start Weigman next year. I think Max Johnson coming in pretty much eliminates Haynes King from starting potential there for Texas A&M. And then you break down the fact that you've got a five-star on the roster. There's going to be quite the quarterback competition in College Station. But regardless, we know it's going to be an upgrade from this year. And A&M weighed 8-4 and, and beat Auburn and Alabama with a fairly young roster this year. After all of the talent that they had from two years ago left, next year's AM team is going to be a problem.
2: Absolutely. And then I think just years to come, yeah. you should just say, just put a 20 and then put it just a. Just, the just next three
1: a, or four years, AM is going to be yeah. a problem. For the next, maybe even
2: beyond that. Yeah, for the next few years, I think AM is going to be a legitimate issue.
1: This, this Jimbo Fisher has found a way, in my opinion, where I, I thought after two years ago. Kelmont's junior season going into last year. Obviously, he went 9 1 last year, but still couldn't quite get over the hump. I think you looked at AM two years ago after 2019 and you thought, man, is Jimbo Fisher like, is he going to be on the hot seat relatively soon? He's clearly not producing at the caliber that AM fans wanted. It's clear to me that it just took a little bit of time for him to build on where Kevin Sumlin left this team. This is going to be, th- this is an interesting. This is an interesting development moving forward, is where AM plays in the power struggle of all this because they're setting with, with recruiting classes like this, and they can do this on a regular basis. There's no reason why these guys can't be at the same caliber as Alabama was for the last decade. Now, with that being said, we're, we're going to learn a lot about how Nick Saban and his staff was, not only with the fact that they were able to go through coaching turnover so often, but also the ability to develop talent on a regular basis we're going to learn a lot about a&m versus you know that coaching staff versus what alabama was doing because georgia's recruited like this for the last three or four years and they haven't done anything with it
2: will a will a&m do something with it's the question that's the question you got another winner
1: uh i think auburn definitely should be a winner compared to where they were sitting at so far on the outside looking in i know a lot of people have been applauding old miss for the climb that they had to get inside the top 25 but still they only have four four stars to 13 three stars auburn being able to flip guys from lsu and put lsu in a really tough position brian kelly should be able to recoup out of it i don't know how he's going to be there's not a lot of recruits left out there so i don't know how lsu is going to be able to you know climb much from where they're at at 19 so auburn really kind of they really kind of disrupted that LSU recruiting class that had some momentum going into uh, you know, the, the later stages of, of this regular season. And then Auburn flipped all their players, and now they've got only 13 commits uh, Auburn also outdid Tennessee who's got one more commit than they do and you expect Auburn to sign some more guys moving forward which may put them above Kentucky and Missouri or you could be looking at Auburn as fourth in the SEC this year so I think Auburn's definitely a winner in this recruiting cycle
2: Auburn's a winner and then North Carolina the number yeah. eight uh, team in the, the 2022 recruiting cycle over the past four years their average class was 19th they have definitely done some great things picked up two five-star kids in the process
1: nine four-stars as well so 11 of their 17 are blue chippers they're 91.7 average recruiting ranking the only teams that are beating that right now those teams are inside the top five top four actually so just saying north carolina did a really great job too let's head to a quick break here on on the line when we come back we got jeremy law of radio alabama sports
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On the Line, we got about 30 minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack from 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama. And as promised here on the Monday edition of the show, we got Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net with us. Jeremy, how's it going today, my man?
4: What's up, guys? Hope y'all are having a great start to the week.
1: And are you having a great start of the week after Alabama's recruiting class last week finished on a high note? Obviously didn't win all of the recruiting rankings, finished at number two. But how are you feeling about that Alabama class?
4: Uh, well, they're, I mean, to say they didn't win, um, but they're going to finish with the, right now, what is the highest player average of all time at 90.9519. So uh, I think they got almost everybody they wanted. They lost Skinner. Uh, to Miami, that's kind of one of those, you know, you lose him. If you don't go to Auburn, Georgia, or LSU, or Florida, you, you, you know, it is what it is. You recruited maybe the second-best wide receiver recruiting class of all time, only second to last year's wide receiver recruiting class. You filled your needs at running back because you just don't know how Jace and Roydale are going to be after tearing their ACL. You get your quarterback of the future in Ty Simpson, who is uh, very Bryce Young-like. He's going to be a really good player. Uh, I think all the services had him at the uh, the number two quarterback, and they were flip flopping who was number one between uh, the Clemson commit and the A and M commit. But they answered the bell at tackle, receiver. Um, they landed some good defensive backs. Obviously, Eli Ricks. He doesn't factor into uh, the the player average or kind of the overall rankings. But I mean, Alabama might have landed the best cornerback in all of college football on its roster. Uh, so I mean they yeah, they 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 cleaned it up and they got 15 of the top 101 players that that's pretty good.
1: How do you perceive the power balance in the SEC moving forward with the top 3 classes being Texas, A&M, Alabama, Georgia and then the chasm between number 3 in the nation and then next up Kentucky of all teams and then Missouri as well. The typical power brokers or the teams that are trying to compete with the top teams of the SEC. So the typical the typical power brokers are still at the top, but the the folks the typical challengers are not recruiting as well as they normally do.
4: Yeah, I mean if you look at LSU and and Florida, I mean LSU's got thirteen commits. They're at nineteenth overall. Man, if they fill up their class, they're gonna they'll be in the top ten. Uh, Florida was like eightieth or something. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. There's a lot of it's a, it's a weird how coaches are handling. ESD, early signing day, and the transfer portal now it's going to – it's just weird to see how some schools are doing it somehow and how some schools aren't because Ohio State, they finish early signing day and they only have 18 commits. So, I mean, they could find – they could go into the transfer portal hard and find guys to fill up those last uh, six or seven scholarships that they have and fill needs with guys that have legitimate D1 experience, not JUCO experience, not, you know uh, – maybe a low-level um, FBS type of school, but maybe some big-time names that maybe haven't hit the transfer portal yet that have played in Power 5 football to get you, get them on campus, similar to what Alabama's done with Henry T. and Jameson Williams and what they're going to do with Eli Ricks, and potentially, if the rumors are true, Keyshawn Boutte. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of big-time schools. The rich schools are waiting to see who's going to hit the portal and who can fill their needs because we're in such a win now. Like, you have to win right now time frame but sometimes you, it'd be better to go ahead and pull a Jamison Williams and run him out there, and if he gives you one great year and you make it to a national or a college football playoff, it's well worth it. So it's just weird to see how a lot of these schools have handled it. You know, Alabama, they're probably done unless they get Keshawn Bouti or Jameer Gibbs. Uh, but, you know, the top three right there in the SEC, and really I think it's the top three right now, take St. Alabama, Georgia, and then everyone else. And I think that's only going to get worse with NIL. You're going to factor – Texas in there a lot, too, and Ohio State. But it might be those five programs with the elite talent. I mean, guys, how many five stars are there? Like, I think there's 25 five stars. I mean, 17 of those I'm looking at, 15 of those went to A&M, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. So um, the the big boys are raking in the big players, and it's kind of the leftovers for everybody else.
2: You mentioned there talking about NIL and how it's affecting the sport and how these big programs that that have that money are able to kind of get some of these recruits to come in because they are going to be able to eventually sign them to uh, to some very nice NIL deals. What are your thoughts on NIL and how it has changed college football and now something that even Jimbo Fisher said the other day? It's like, you know, NIL deals have been going on for a long time, but now they're just out in the open. How do you feel now that it is out in the open? How do you feel that it's uh, how do you feel about it changing the game?
4: Well, what Texas is doing is not Nil going just because that that is there are fifty thousand dollars for an offensive lineman to eventually use their name image and likeness. That's a recruiting pitch that's a salary that's not that is not nil and I think that's really what Jimbo and Nick and Lane Kiffin and Dabo and all these people are talking about is that's not name image and likeness. that is a salary that is this is how much we are going to pay you to come play this position. Uh, at our school, although we're not the one uh, paying it, like Bo Nix landing his, you know, uh, some of his fast food deals, that's nil. G- having a guaranteed fifty grand as soon as you walk on campus at Texas is not nil. So, but a lot of schools are going to play this dirty. This one, everybody's been recruiting, and all the players have been getting money under the table. But um, name, image, and likeness, as Nick Saban said, was there for once a, a player establishes himself to be able to to benefit from his development, the way he plays, what he's been able to do on the field, not to try to sway to get a a kid on campus. And now all these schools, and maybe Alabama included, I'm not sure, a lot of schools are creating shell companies to have donors donate to them, and now you're just going to have this big pot of money. And big-time recruits like Evan Stewart and a few other ones are going to get these schools in a bidding war. And the highest bidder, the second highest bidder, depending on, what the situation in is it's probably going to win every single time.
1: Jeremy, we've talked about some of the winners of signing day already today, and I know you've alluded to some of them already. Let's talk about some of the losers. Who were losers of this early signing period?
4: Well, you know, Oklahoma was for a while, and they're ranked number 10, but, man, they they lost some commit. They had some guys transfer. The portal is so big because if you lose good players to the portal, you you almost lost the signing period. Um, you know, LSU, I mentioned their class is still empty, so I, I'm not sure they lost. Well, they definitely lost the early signing period. You know, the top three players in in Louisiana, or at least receiver wise, went to Alabama. They lost a couple kids to uh, Texas A and M. Max Johnson's going A and M. His brothers going to A and M. I think LSU is in a in a in a tough spot right here. And how and how many awkward occasions can Brian Kelly afford to have at LSU before everybody starts to think, man, this guy's kind of a it's kind of a weird guy. It's kind of Les Miles, but at least Les Miles felt like he was a good fit there. Brian Kelly faking the accent, the, uh, the little recruiting video with the camera's going around and around him and they're listening to some uh, Garth Brooks song. I don't know. It's just weird. I think that they were probably one of the big losers because they should each and every year be in the top seven in recruiting, and I'm not sure how they're going to be able to get themselves uh, out of that hole and there's not many five stars left there are some four stars but they're going to fill their class out with some low four stars and a lot of three stars and then brian kelly really really uh some work to do I, I think lsu right now especially you know they got to play a&m they got to play alabama they got to play ole miss and auburn and all those other schools they're they're not looking too good and they lost a lot of guys to the portal the last few years too so they, i think they they can, they can bail themselves out with the, with the National Signing Day in February or in that period, but it's, they're not really sitting pretty right now where they are.
1: Eli Ricks announcing his commitment to Alabama through the transfer portal. What do you like about this? How does this help the Alabama secondary?
4: Well, I mean, Alabama, they're going to have – the key for Alabama is when Josh Job is banged up and he's obviously going to be gone after this year, they don't have that guy – to compliment Kool-Aid McKinstry, at least from what I can tell. Um, If you're going to go in and get an Eli Ricks, and a lot of people would say, yeah, if he's in the portal, you're going to take him, I agree with that. But if they felt really confident in Kyrie Jackson, if they felt super confident in Jalen Armour Davis, I think they have tons of confidence in in Kool-Aid. They know what type of player he can be. Um, But if they had the utmost confidence in those guys, I'm not sure that Eli Ricks would have been the top destination. A lot of people feel like Georgia. Would have uh, been a good would have been another good landing spot for him. But Alabama had a chance to potentially land Denver Harris and Damani Jackson. They whiffed on both of those guys. They got two other good quarter uh, corners in this class with Earl Little and Traequan Figas. So they got an instant playmaker in this guy, and I think it adds some versatility to the secondary. You're still going to be able to play Brian Branch, Malachi Moore, Demarco Hellams, Jordan Battle, whether he goes pro or not. You're going to be very very deep. And I don't think Alabama was really deep when it came to a pure talent standpoint um, at, at corner and really at safety outside of Jordan Battle. So adding Eli Riggs is going to help him out a lot.
1: Switching to the hardwood, Alabama basketball follows up a hot two games against Gonzaga and Houston with a pretty disappointing week last week. They only fall a handful of spots. They're still in the top 10 of the AP poll this week, but... You can see kind of the the ceiling and the floor of this Alabama team over the last month, and where what what, what does that make you feel about this Alabama team moving forward?
4: Well, they're gonna they got to get better big man play, and you know, Betty Yonko can block shots, but he stays in foul trouble, and they're they're looking for a guy that can dominate and score down there. And uh, you know, if Jaden Shackelford hits his first three in the in the ball game with four minutes to go versus Memphis. Um, you're probably not going to win those games. Jaden Shackleford cannot disappear. He's got to do something. He's got to find a way to, if it's shoot yourself out of a slump, shoot yourself out of a slump. If he can't get out of the slump, you got to take him off the floor because he's there to get buckets from beyond the arc. And if he's not doing it, you got to find something else. And, you know, Keon Ellis had uh, like a bad three-game stretch. You know, he he came on and helped Alabama out in a win against JSU that was uh, on the brink a little bit. Uh, you have seen the ceiling, you have seen the floor, uh, but the ceiling is really good, and uh, you have to play at your ceiling come tournament time. And Alabama's going to have plenty of quality wins come tournament time to be a uh, pretty high seed in that tournament if they can just get over this hump, get over this lull, get into SEC play, and um, I think, what do they play, Davidson's tomorrow? Yeah. So, I mean, they got a good game. I know they would have had a chance to get another top 25 win against Colorado State if not for COVID, so they can still they can add some more quality wins to this bunch. But I think Alabama fans just want to see the team play better. They want to see them be in better rhythm. Uh, defense, I think, has been okay. And they've got to get better on the defense and glass. You cannot give up as many offensive rebounds that they've given up since that Houston game. They've got to get better on the glass, because second-chance points are killing them.
1: Jeremy, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I hope you have a good rest of your week and a merry, merry Christmas, my man.
4: Merry Christmas, guys. Take care.
1: That was Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net with us here on the show talking some Alabama Crimson Tide football and basketball. I know we're only five days away, but I hope everybody's having a great holiday season and I hope everybody's having a wonderful, wonderful lead-up to Christmas coming up and a Merry Christmas at that. So we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to tell you what's going on tonight on television as well as we're going to wrap up our conversation about National Signing Day on the other side of this break. Ramping up the Monday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got about eight minutes left in the show. A big thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us. If you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. It's time for our Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. and This week's is Auburn High School's Carter Davis. The senior forward knocked down a buzzer beater to lift Auburn past Hillcrest Evergreen. 55-53 this past Saturday. Auburn wraps up the month of December with a game against Lynette this week. Carter Davis, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster, fiber, internet, point-broadband.com. Auburn High Tigers in action tonight, actually, against Lynette. Tip-off time for the girls' game at 5.30. Boys, at approximately 7 o'clock. It'll be right after that girls' game. We're about 10 minutes after the girls' game concludes. That game can be heard on 96.3 W.E. Jack Hutton will have the call for the Auburn High Tigers. Once again, Auburn taking on Lynette tonight. And Carter Davis, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. We've been talking a bit about winners and losers of National Signing Day. Before we get to that, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. the finale of holiday baking championship is on food network tonight from 7 to 9 p.m i'm serious i've watched every single episode of this this entire season it's phenomenal the things that these people can do with food only five days away from christmas let's look at the christmas movie selections for tonight bill murray stars in scrooged on amc at seven the santa claus and the santa claus two are on back to back on freeform starting at 5 20. In live sports, we have two NFL games on television tonight, actually starting at 4 p.m. Some teams are really dealing with some losses due to COVID-19. The Raiders are at the Browns at 4 on NFL Network. Half of the Browns starters are out at 7.15 p.m. It's Monday Night Football on ESPN with the Minnesota Vikings at the Chicago Bears. College basketball, Incarnate Word is at number 3 Purdue at 6 on Big Ten Network, and Western Michigan is at Notre Dame at 7 on ACC Network. That is what's on TV tonight,
2: Lance. What are you be watching? I'll probably be watching Monday Night Football. If anything, honestly, and going to the movies. You're going to be watching Spider Man. That's Let's right. Go. I've not okay. Somehow I've managed to avoid all, all spoilers. I don't even know. Haven't you seen it yet? No, I've not even seen it yet, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, doing so because I've had literally four different people text me and say it's the greatest Marvel movie they've ever seen, which is. A very high bar to clear for me, 100. Uh, percent So uh, I do. I will say though, Tom Holland, my favorite, uh, my favorite Spider-Man. Um, some people really liked uh, Tobey Maguire. I was one of those people. Did not like. It looked like looks like a 30 year old man that's trying to play a high school student. I just can't get past that. That is factual. Um, Andrew Garfield. I don't know why he just felt kind of whiny. And I know Tom Holland. I think that's a complaint with some people is that he's too much of a kid and he's a little whiny. But I, I think it fits. I think he fits because he looks the most like a high school kid. He does. He
1: does. Andrew Garfield looks like he's a high school kid or maybe on to college as well with his age, but um, I'm with you. He He was a little too emotional.
2: Yeah, I think uh, – you know what? It, it is what it is, though. I cannot wait to see this this uh, new Spider-Man movie, though, because a lot of people told me that it has been really good. But I'll probably be watching Monday Night Football. You told me not to update you on what's going on with the Browns game. I'll just text you randomly and be like, oh, yeah, Anthony Schwartz just threw a touchdown pass. No tell big deal. That. That's possible. <laughs> Don't tell me that's not possible.
1: The Browns do tons of reverse passes in this offense. Oh, man. Oh, it's going to be a nightmare tonight, man. I'm nervous. Uh, I'm, I'm Once again, I've got it recorded, so I'm not going to be watching it until – late this evening but 10 of the 22 starters for the Browns are out on the COVID-19 reserve list and this is just one of those unfortunate circumstances it doesn't seem like these guys are dealing with symptoms or that that they're that even that sick they just got tested and they tested positive and they haven't been able to get off the list because they haven't procured two positive tests and it's wrecking the NFL right now it's hurting college basketball it's hurting several sports right now and it stinks. It really does because they moved this game back to Monday, and the Browns were only able to get off the COVID list like two players.
2: Did the NFL, whenever they released new protocol, did they did they make it more difficult for players to play, or did they are made they, it easier? Are they going to stop testing some of these vaccinated players more often?
1: I don't know if or they're going often. to. I don't know if they're going to change the testing protocol. But I think they're going to make it easier for them to get off of the COVID list. But they it's still been very vague about how the NFL is going to actually achieve that. But I was hoping that some more Browns players, at least a quarterback, would be able to get off of the list. If you know, I can deal without having a couple of receivers. I needed a quarterback to get off the list. I needed Keenum or Mayfield, and neither of them got off. So tonight, the Cleveland Browns are starting Nick Mullins at quarterback. And I hate it for all you fantasy owners out there that are in... The playoffs right now, shame on you if Baker
2: Mayfield is your fantasy quarterback. You know better. <laughs> you know better. You know better. Oh uh, man. Oh man, I will say though. And if you
1: have Case Keenum, you're in a very deep fantasy league.
2: I'm um, <laughs> uh, Yeah, uh last year, uh I played in a fantasy league. It was 20 people and uh the the man that created it intentionally put me as the 20th pick uh in the draft. So, um I did not I did not play in a fantasy league this year. It was not fun for me last year. I did not play in one this there year. There were 20 teams in your league? There were 20 teams, man. It was really hard to come by good players. Although I will say, uh, Aaron Jones worked out for me.
1: That does not that sounds fun, but also not fun. You know what's an interesting trend in fantasy right now? What? Leagues that allow you to draft defensive players. Ooh. That's a real I've I've tampered with that idea before, and you can do that on ESPN's fantasy. I've thought about that. I've toyed with that idea a little bit. I find it interesting, but that's for
2: like that's for those people that are like junkies. Why don't? Why isn't that a thing where you can just get defensive players and you can? Well, you, you draft can, for like every position. So
1: like right, you draft so quarterback, running back, wide receiver, all the stuff on offense, and then all defense. You go for like defensive lineman and then linebackers and right. corners and all that, and then all that good well, let's stuff. Let's
2: do that. Let's just have a really long draft.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. I think it adds a whole other layer of strategy to it. And let's get rid of kickers. I, I would rather have. I would rather have to draft defensive players than have to draft kickers. I think kickers can. Skew a matchup entirely, like a kicker goes off for like 15 points because he hits a couple of field goals, and it's like that's not even there's there's no skill or rhyme or reason to drafting the kicker position. You never know if you're like like that's so arbitrary. It really is. It has nothing to do with scheme or anything. You literally, I would just draft kickers of teams where I feel comfortable that they're going to score points.
2: Man, you are, you are the, uh, you were Levi Fitzwater like two or three years ago. You're just like, let's get rid of kickers in fantasy, and soon you will come to the conclusion that we should just get rid of kickers. Period. <laughs> You're on the train, man. You're on your way. That's interesting.
1: You know why not? Why not get kickers out of football?
2: You're already there. Why not? There. <laughs> why not? Uh, I'm just thinking
1: about it why not I mean I mean kickoffs let's let's you know let's get the ball down the field but why not
2: Some kickoffs Why do we are, have field goals Some kickoffs are cool. does that mean we're we getting rid of punters as well
1: Yeah but it's cool. why not it's that'll, be, that'll add more points in football
2: but then we get we don't have the Oscar Chapmans of the world
1: yeah that's right Oscar Chapmans we need the GO those guys at and all honestly no we need kickers it would be a terrible idea if you had to go for it every time inside your own 25 because Oof. that would make blowouts. That, that would eliminate upsets. I, I think that would really hamper upsets happening because teams like Alabama wouldn't be – that. like in this past Iron Bowl, Alabama would have scored a lot. Yeah. They would have had to drive the field against the defense. Yep. That's it for the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Monday – or tomorrow, excuse me, Tuesday. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.